Lord, we thank you, and we pray, Lord, that your word would come in power and that you'd speak to the speaker and hearer alike, that you change our hearts through your word. May your word challenge us. May we know you're leading as we read your word, as we dwell in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the previous weeks, <clears throat> we've had Pastor Ryan putting down the foundation on um, faithful witness. He put down the foundation on what it looks like um, to be a faithful witness and seeing how God himself, <clears throat> excuse me, to start with the Father wanting to be known and sending the Son as the witness and sending the Holy Spirit as the empowering agent of us to be witnesses. So it's been a very, from the beginning onwards, up to us. It's been a very, um, you, can, you could easily follow up what we've been talking about. So we have talked about these three major things that are foundational. And now we're going to come to what is it that we need to do? Where do we play part in this? Where are we in this calling to be a faithful witness? Today, I want to speak to you about commission to tell my story as a faithful witness. We are commissioned to tell our story. And today, I want us to speak about what is it that the Lord wants us to do, knowing now that he, came, he wants to be known. He sent Jesus to be the ultimate witness and to show us how to make him known. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. To, to show the world and to be those witnesses to the world. So what does that look like for us? So I'm going to go through the Great Commission. I'm going to go through it in all the Gospels. I know some of you are thinking, it's not in all the Gospels. It is in all the four Gospels and in Acts. And we're going to just go through that together and just understand what our role is. I'll start in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I will read as follows. All right, I'll read from here. And Jesus came and spoke to them and saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He tells them, to go. And what we see here is that it's not, it's not a situation of maybe we should go or maybe we shouldn't. This is a command. He's using his authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he says, go. It's like, it's like, a, a, it's like a commander telling a private in the army. I'm the commander. I have the right to give you orders to do things. And at this point, I'm ordering you to go and do this. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I command you to go. It's not a suggestion. He's not suggesting that maybe you go if you want to or if you feel like it. He's calling us to go. He says, go. It's authoritative. There is no other way. And again, look at that. He says, all authority he uses that word all authority and then he goes again go to all the nations 
and I am with you all the days of your life. All authority, all nations, all the days. That's absolute. And that's what we are called to do, and that's what we are called to do too, which is the nations, and that's what we are called knowing that he is with us always, all the time. He didn't say some of the time. He said all the time, I will be with you. He says go. He sends us. He tells us that this is what he wants us to do. It is his authority that sends us. It is his authority that guides us. It is his authority that empowers us to do what we are called to do. We are not going in our own authority. We are going in his authority. His work continues in his authority, not ours. As we go, I want you to know that as you go and do whatever God has called you to do in being a witness, you are doing it in the authority of Jesus Christ who has all the authority given to him. And so he sent you and me and said, go. But well, sometimes we think, well, I hear that. But this authority, and you're asking me to go, I am not so perfect as we had today from some of our small groups. Those things, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how this is going to work out and whatever. But Jesus says, go to this group of disciples. This group of disciples is a group of very imperfect people. And he says to them, go. To start with, Peter, Mr. Blabmouth, go. And then I like the way Spurgeon puts it, talking about these imperfect disciples. He says, it is John who sometimes wished to call fire from heaven to destroy men. It is Philip with whom the Savior had been so long, yet he did not know him. It is Thomas who must put his finger in the nail prints, for he would not believe him. Yet the master says to them, Go. All power has been given to me, therefore go. You are as good for my purpose as anybody else would be. There is no power in you, I know, but then all power is given to me, therefore go. In our weaknesses, he is calling us to go. We don't need to be strong and mighty and amazing for us to go. These disciples, we've had their flaws, and he tells them, go. Then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. The command here is not to make converts. It's easy to make a convert because it's a hit and run. You make them, tell them a little bit about Jesus, tell them, um, read, make them pray this prayer, then, oh, next person. No, no, no. He says, go and make disciples. Disciples are made. Disciples take time. Disciples are not a hit and run. And God, Jesus did not say to us, go and make uh, converts. He did not say, go and make supporters of the cause. No, he said, go and make disciples. Disciples take discipline. Disciples are not just made by a simple yep, yep, yep. They are not automatic. Can't create them automatically. They are a product of walking with them and walking with the Father together. And Jesus calls us to go and do that. How long and how many times have we messed this up by just going to make converts? 
It's like a parent who gives birth to a baby and leaves them and abandons them. We are called to make disciples. Spend time with them. Let them grow as they walk with you. That is how we grow the kingdom of God. It's not by making converts. It's not by asking people to pray a five-minute prayer. It's about walking with them. And as they walk with you, as they walk with the church, as they walk with Jesus, their lives are changed. And then they can go and walk with others. That's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is about discipline. Discipleship is about the things that we do for us to to, to walk with Christ, the disciplines that we put in our lives, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of spending time in the Word. All these things that are part of the spiritual formation is what Jesus is calling us to go and do with disciples. Disciples are formed spiritually, gradually. And we are being formed each day too as we walk. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are being discipled into the image of Jesus. And we are called to go and make disciples. Every time I hear that word disciple, the word, the phrase spiritual formation comes to mind. Because we are formed then into the image of Christ. By these disciplines that we do, whether it's fasting, whether it's prayer, whether it's even coming and gathering together whether in small group or in church, or it's corporate worship or it's a private worship by yourself. I know some people think, can I ever have worship by myself? Yes, you can. So all these things, Jesus is telling us to go and make disciples. What are we going to do with these disciples? That's the next thing he calls in. He says, baptize them. In the Jewish culture, um, they would have said circumcise them. But Jesus says baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name, one name. God is one, three in one. And then he says after baptizing them, what do you do? Teach them to obey. Teach them. There is teaching that happens that we are called to do. When somebody becomes a, a, a believer in Christ, they is teaching and walking with. And he says, teach them. And what you teach them, you teach them the things that Jesus has commanded you. Where do you find the things that Jesus has commanded you? Teach them the word. And then finally he gives, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I want us to spend a few minutes there. I am with you always. What does his presence mean? His constant, ever-abiding presence. He says, I am with you always. Not sometimes. I am with you always. His presence speaks of the privileges we walk with him. We are walking and working with a great king. That's a privilege. He says, I am with you always. You are privileged. His presence speaks of his protection over us as we go. He says, I am with you always. We are never out of his sight. We are never out of his supervision. He is there walking with us. He is there whispering and telling us what to say. In another place, he says to disciples, don't worry when they ask you on what words you will say. They will be given to you because he knew that he will be there with us always. Also, when we speak about his presence, it speaks of his power. 
When we walk with him, we are walking in power. When we walk with him, we have the power to speak his word, and his word has the power to change people's lives. His presence speaks of peace, because that peace reminds us all the time that this work we're doing does not belong to us, it belongs to him. The anxiety goes down because we know it does not belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. So what do we see here in Matthew? As I wound down Matthew, the disciples are called to do a few things. If you didn't get anything from this part, this is what I want you to take home with. The disciples in Matthew are called to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them what Christ has taught them. And as well to call for obedience to Jesus in daily living. And then there is a promise there of his ever abiding presence with us. That's what we see in Matthew. Let's go on to Mark. Mark chapter 16, 14 through 18. I will read. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and the hardness of their hearts. Because they had not believed, because they did not believe those who had seen him before he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized and will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs and wonders shall follow they that they believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it would not by any means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. We start there by a rebuke in this one. He comes and he rebukes them. We see there that he says to them, go. And he starts by rebuking them before he says go. He rebukes them for their unbelief and the hardness of their hearts. He says to them, you could have done better. But in the midst of that, he doesn't say then, oh, you are disqualified from going because you did, not, you did not believe. You are disqualified from going because you had doubt. He didn't say that. He then, after rebuking them, he goes on and says, go. The way you are, you are ready. Go. And so he calls us and he commands us to go. This command is not obey. They do not obey it immediately and just go that day. Like Pastor Ryan last week said, some scholars see it as 10 years difference gap before they could really go out. They stayed in Jerusalem and in Judea and for some time and did not really go out. And some scholars look at it as 10 or so years, which is very interesting. But then when persecution came, they started to go. Jesus had to use some other means to get them to go. And then he says, he who believes will, um, is baptized and, be, and will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Condemnation here is not on those that are not baptized. It's not that baptism is not important. It is important. It's part of the sacraments of Christianity. But the most important thing is we can baptize you and put you in water all the way. If you do not believe, you're still condemned. The condemnation is on belief, not on baptism. Yes, baptism is important. We need to because Jesus is a command that Jesus commanded us to do to be baptized. But we, we are baptized because we have believed. And I want to encourage you today, 
if you have believed and not been baptized, you need to get that done because it's a command. But if also you have been baptized and you do not believe, you need to check. You need to check your heart. Baptism doesn't save us. It is the belief in Jesus Christ that saves us. And we hear here, I like how David Kuzak puts it. He says, if a person does not believe, he's, he's condemned. Even if he has been baptized, condemnation rests on disbelief, not on baptism. So salvation rests on belief in Jesus. And then he goes on and says, these signs shall follow they that believe. And he speaks of all these lofty things that they would take up poisonous snakes and all these things. And I strongly believe that these things are not, were not given by Jesus so that it proves that you're a believer. I know some places where you need to hold snakes to show that you're a believer. No, no. Jesus is talking here of a situation like, remember Paul in the island of Malta? Actually, we spoke about Malta last week. We had missionaries from Malta. From the island of Malta, when he got there and he got bit by a poisonous snake and people expected him to fall down and die, and he shook it off and he was alive and well. That is what he's talking about. That even when danger is laid before us, not when we foolishly walk into danger because we want to, when danger is laid before us in our going, he is there with us to protect us. That is why I said his presence is protection for us. Having him with us is protection for us. So what we see in Mark, in Mark the disciples are given a few things to do too. Number one, to proclaim the good news to all creations, not just the nations. Not just the nations. That screen looks wider than all the other ones, so it cuts off words. It says, no, not just creation. No, it's proclaim the good news to all creation, not just nations. And I was speaking to Amanda this past the Thursday or Friday. We're talking about the sermon, and I'm like to her, it's very interesting to me to realize that he says the news is to be proclaimed not just to nations, but to all creation. And it reminds me, the part where it says, where in scripture it says, creation groans as it awaits the revelation of the children of God. God is not just the God of the people, he's the God of all creation. And we are called to proclaim this good news, not just to people, but to creation. All of it. It belongs to our Father. And then he says, second thing, baptize new believers as an act of obedience. There is a baptism again. Baptize who? New what? New believers, those who believe as an act of obedience. And then he says also there is a promise of these powerful signs that will follow the proclamation of God's word. That's what he says in Mark. Let's go to Luke. I think I'm doing well on time. Praise Jesus. Luke 24, 44 to 53. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, It is written, And thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and on the third day to be raised from the dead. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached 
in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem and you are witnesses of all these things behold I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them and it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and where they continually in the temple praising and blessing God amen so he he goes here we we see him here and he's speaking to these disciples he tells them that the gospel should be preached the gospel should be preached in Christ's name in Jesus name what does it mean to preach the gospel in Jesus name it means to preach the gospel under his orders when he says I go I go it's under his orders he is the commander he makes the decision it means as well to preach the gospel on his authority the words that we say about the gospel are not in our own authority and not in some scholars authority and not in some government authority they're in the authority of Jesus Christ and then preaching the gospel in Jesus name speaks of knowing repentance and remissions of sins come from him not us knowing that he died and paid the price knowing that he rose and conquered death for us knowing that our forgiveness lies in him not in anywhere else that's preaching the gospel in Jesus Christ lastly preaching the gospel in Jesus Christ means refusing to preach it in our names and in our fame and in our charisma and in our making lying it all on me me I and myself the unholy trinity of me myself and I and a lot of preachers we fall into that a lot of believers we fall into that we fall into this narcissistic me I and that's not preaching the gospel in Jesus name we refuse to preach in our own name or to speak in our own name he tells them you are witnesses of these things he tells them they are witnesses he tells them they have seen what does a witness do a witness tells what they have seen what they've experienced and he tells them you are witnesses of these things not just of what I have I have taught and what you have seen but also witnesses of this commission and therefore you're responsible for to tell it so go and he tells them to begin in Jerusalem their work is to begin in Jerusalem your work is to to begin where you are home don't preach Jesus outside and everywhere else when you've not preached Jesus in your home don't try and live for Jesus out there when you're not living for Jesus in your home so he says start in Jerusalem the other things that could um, could be scriptural scripturally in Isaiah 2 3 and Joel 2 32 we hear that this will start in Jerusalem so yeah he's right scriptures have said it start in Jerusalem 
But also all these things have happened in Jerusalem. They need to be tested in Jerusalem. All the things that pertained to Jesus dying and all these things have happened here. It needs to be tested here before it goes out. To honor the Jewish people too. To bring the gospel first to them. And also, this is a way the disciples are being pushed beyond their boundaries. This is a place where they would not really want to start. This is a place where they would face opposition. Fierce opposition. You are tempted not to go there because there is fierce opposition. You are, not te- you are tempted not to share your story about Jesus because there is fierce opposition. But Jesus says, start there. I am with you. I am with you. And then he says to them, he will send the promise of his father upon them. Let's see, what is it that Jesus says to the disciples in Luke? Pulling it together. He says they should go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. They proclaim it. They don't, they, they are not issuing it. They are not issuing indulgences. They are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to all nations. And then he says, in doing that, they are doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in their own authority, not in our own authority, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he says to them, the caveat is like, wait. Wait until you are clothed. Wait until you are filled with the Spirit. Do not go without it. It doesn't help to go without. John, let's move on to John. John chapter 20, 20 to 23. There is a great commission again. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Peace be with you. Few things that we see there. He says, peace be with you. One writer, James Boyce, says that we must ourselves have peace both inwardly and outwardly before we can effectively preach the gospel of peace to others. It needs to start with us. That's, that's being a witness. Being a witness means it started with you. you. You experienced it. And so he says here that it needs to start with us. We need to have peace. What, what does this peace look like? What does it mean? It's the peace of knowing that my sins are forgiven. It's the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven in Jesus. That's number one part of this peace. Number two, it's the peace of knowing that the slavery to sin has been broken. The chains of slavery to sin have been broken. It's the peace of knowing that. Number three, it's the peace of knowing that my Savior takes my fears and cares. I don't need to carry fears and cares because my Savior takes them. It's the peace of knowing that. And number four, 
is the peace of knowing that my life is eternally settled with Jesus. I have eternity with Jesus. So he says to them, peace be with you. And he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He gives his disciples a mission. The mission that he gives them is the same mission that the Father gave him. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. This is the same thing he prayed for in John 17, 18. When he said, as you have sent me into this world, I have sent them to the world. We are sent and commissioned, just like Jesus was commissioned and sent by his Father. He says, as the Father sent me, I send you. What does this mean? We are missionaries in one way or the other. In our families, in our neighborhoods, missionaries are not only the people who are overseas. We are missionaries in our own rights. The word missionary is a Latin word that means being sent. We have been sent to go. And so we are missionaries in the, only, in the fields that we are in, whether it's in, in, um, in IT where you work, whether it's in school where you teach, whether it's in a business where you are, you are on a mission, you are sent. And he said, go. How was Jesus sent? Jesus proclaims this in Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we are sent to do. If we are sent like Jesus, we are sent and anointed of his spirit to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty for those who are in captive of sin, and to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed by demons, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, he says to his disciples, the Bible tells us here that he breathes on his disciples. This, this makes me think of creation. When God created man, for him to give him life, he breathed into man. Am I right? That's what we hear in Genesis. And I think here, in a way, Jesus is saying to them, receive this new life. He breathes into them this new life. They become born again people after this. They are walking in the newness of life. The Holy Spirit is bringing new life and ability to them. The Holy Spirit brings new life and ability to us. The ability to be witnesses, to be faithful witnesses. We are made anew and then we have the ability then to be faithful witnesses. That encounter is what we are witnessing. That encounter with Jesus is what we are witnesses of. You cannot be a witness if you have not had an encounter with Jesus. You need to have an encounter with Jesus for you to be a witness. 
So what we see again here I love technology. All right. Merrill Taney puts it in this way. He says the words of Jesus emphasize that the Holy Spirit is not bestowed on the church as an ornament, but to empower an effective application of the work of Christ to all men. We don't have the Holy Spirit just to look good. We don't have the Holy Spirit just to sound great. We have the Holy Spirit so it empowers us to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. And the work that God has called us to do here is go and make disciples. So what do we see in John? But maybe before we go into that, I want you to realize the duty of the church here is to proclaim forgiveness for a repentant believer. And the duty of the church is to warn the unbelieving and the unrepentant of the dangers of forfeiting God's grace. So what we see in John, Jesus saying to the disciples, I look at the wrong, um, the wrong screen all the time that is way wider. Jesus says, be his representatives like he's the representative of the Father. Be his earthly representative just the same way he's the representative of the Father. He says as well, we are marked by the Holy Spirit as belonging to Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit for the task ahead. We spoke about that last week. And then lastly, he says, help people. They are called. They are to be preoccupied with helping people process the issues related to forgiveness of sins. That's what we are called to do here in John. Let's go to X. Don't worry, I'm going to pull this in together. X chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They had come together. They knew this was their last time together. So they asked the most important questions, the last minute most important questions that they need to ask. And their question is, when are you going to, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. Jesus warned the disciples against inquiring on the aspects, on the timing of God's kingdom, because those things belong to the Father. Yes, we, we, we know that he's coming back and we want to know and we, and we want to be watchful. But Jesus says here, what I want you to be preoccupied with is something different, is that you go in my authority. The Father has put this in his authority, not in mine. There is a place where he says the Son doesn't even know when he's coming back. But we know that he's coming because he told us he's coming back. 
So he tells them to go in his authority. He gives them again his authority, his authority. And he gives it to them and he tells them to go. And then when he tells them to go here, he tells them, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. The coming of the Holy Spirit upon them means receiving of power. What do we need that power for? It is the power to strengthen our weak knees when we are afraid to share about Jesus. It is the power to unloose our tongues when we talk about Jesus and we are afraid and our tongues are tied. It is the power that is in the words that we speak that bring life to people. It's not our power, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. All these doubting guys, all these guys wanted to call fire from heaven. Remember the, fall, the, the apostles and their issues. He still says to them, go and you'll receive power, and this power will make you, the power will make you to be witnesses. The natural result of receiving this promise of the Holy Spirit is that we become witnesses of Jesus. He didn't say here that uh, you receive power and then maybe you may be witnesses. No. He said you receive power and then you'll be witnesses. He's got surety in that. In that when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we become witnesses. Because when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it starts to work out the character of Christ in us. And we become witnesses. Not that we may, we become witnesses to Jesus all over the earth. He doesn't recommend that they become witnesses. He says they will be witnesses. So what we see in Acts, before we go in what we see in Acts, he tells them these places, you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I've spoken about that before at large, that the whole idea is start here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is home, away, more away to the whole world. But what we see here, if you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 up to chapter 7, speaks of the gospel being preached in Jerusalem. Those first seven chapters speak of the gospel being preached in Jerusalem. Then comes my favorite, Acts chapter 8, that speaks of my, my brother, Philip, my guy. I'm going to speak about him in a few weeks. I'm excited. Philip is my guy. And then chapter 8 to chapter 12, it speaks of the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. There is a bit of the ends of the world there because then Philip meets the eunuch. But most of it, he is in Samaria, then he appears suddenly in Samaria. There is all these amazing things. The gospel is being preached in Judea and Samaria. And then Acts 13 through 28 is the journeys to the rest of the world. It speaks of going to the ends of the earth. Some of you may imagine that the disciples most probably had objections here. When Jesus said to them, start in Jerusalem. It's really in Jerusalem where they executed Jesus. They're going to execute us. That's why they were hiding. They didn't want to. They were afraid. Go to Judea. Judea rejected his ministry. He got there and they had no belief. They had no faith. Why would we go to Judea next? Samaria, the outcasts. 
Seriously, you want us to go to those, the half-breeds, the outcasts. And then he says to the uttermost part of the earth. And if you think about it in Jewish tradition, the Gentiles were good for nothing but, but just for the fires of hell. That's the rest of the world. And Jesus says, I want you to go to these people, which includes me and you. With all those objections, Jesus still says, I want you to go to them. So what do we see in X? We see that he says, you receive the power from the Holy Spirit. You will receive the power. The power that we have is received from the Holy Spirit. I want you to see the emphasis in all this we've seen that Jesus says that we're not doing this by our own power. I don't know if you realize that. Through this whole time, all these ones that we have read, all these other four too, the power is not ours. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says again here, you receive power, and that power will make you witnesses. And that witness will take you all over. And then you'll be witnesses everywhere. Jesus has the authority. And he has given us a command through his authority to go and tell our story. The commander has given an, authority, an authoritative command. What do we do? Yes, sir. We move on. He's given us our marching orders. Is to go. He has commissioned us to go. Not just the authority that he has, but through that authority has commissioned us to go. And he has given us the promise that he will be with us. And that his spirit will empower us. Some of you might think, it's so hard to share the gospel. It's so hard. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to start. It's embarrassing. People might laugh at me. I might stumble there. Some people have got genuine things. I don't know much. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know a lot of scriptures. I don't know the Bible in and out. Maybe when I know everything, then I can share the gospel. It's a genuine thing. And for some people, like, oh, you know what? I, I have doubts of my own. So how can I be qualified to share the gospel? I was speaking to some young people from um, our youth this past Friday, um, some of the boys, and we're talking, we're talking about things that are not related to sharing the gospel. But each and every one of them, in our one-on-one -on -one -on -one time, they spoke about being witnesses. Each and every one of them said, my, and I'm like, how does this come about? Because we're talking about something totally different. And each and every one of them brought it back to that. How can I be a witness to my school? How can I make my witness more sharper so I can be a witness to my school? These are, these, these are teenagers. Praise God. They're thinking about that. Praise God. They're wanting to do that. And so by saying that, I want to challenge you as the adults that are sitting here. We are called to be witnesses. And I know all those questions that I said before. Oh, I don't know anything, all these excuses that we have. The disciples had the same excuses. That even up to the end, they did not understand what Jesus meant by that the kingdom, bringing the kingdom back. They still had the mindset of that it's just the kingdom of Israel and nothing else. And it's the kingdom of God, rather. They still did not understand it. But Jesus did not say to them, oh, I need to teach you more. Let's sit down again three more years. No, he said, go. Some were doubting. 
And still he said, go. With their doubts. Why did he say there should be witnesses with that? Because a witness tells what they have seen. A witness does not go and concord a story. A witness does not need to study the case for them to be a witness. They need to just tell what has happened to them. This week at small group, we're going to be speaking about the woman from Samaria. She did not need to sit down with Jesus for hours and, and go through everything. She ran back and she said, come and see the man who has told me everything I have ever done. The city believed, and they even say it later, we now believe not just because of your story, but because we have seen this happen. Jesus is calling us to be like that woman, radical. Let's go. Tell our story. Don't worry about anything else. It's just your story. Your experience with Jesus is what you share with people. He's calling us to go and be witnesses to our story. Tell your story. Scripture that I shared last night, I had not planned to add the scripture in or to talk about it, but I shared this last night with with most of the boys, and I I thought it would be a good one as well to share with us. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. The worship team can start getting ready to come forward. I'm almost done here. This is John, the apostle. Actually, before I read this, I feel prompted to look at my devotional this morning was on 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2, let's start there first. I don't have it on slide because it was this morning's devotion, so I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. This is Paul, the great apostle. And he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come come to you with excellent speech of wisdom declaring the testimony of God. You don't need to have excellent speech and wisdom to share the testimony of God. Paul says it here, I did not come with that. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, even though I knew all those things and I know all those things, I made a choice to tell you just the story of what I experienced. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This is a great apostle. He says, I spoke to you in fear, in weakness, and much trembling. We are in good company if we are afraid. We are in good company if we are trembling. We are in good company with this great apostle. And he says, my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom. We don't need persuasive words to share our story. We just need to be able, open your mouth, share your story. Nobody can argue with your story. But in demonstration of the spirit of power, the Holy Spirit would demonstrate. You don't worry. Just share your story. The Spirit would do the rest. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're not calling people to ourselves. We're calling them to God. Let their faith rest in God, not in us. Yes, we tell our story, but we reflect it back to the honor of the story, which is Jesus. In First John 1, 1 through 4, says that says that was... Sorry, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen it and we bear witness and we declare to you the eternal to, to you that the etern, that eternal life which was the which was with the father and was manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and his son Jesus Christ and these things we write that your joy may be full so much here John speaks of experience we talk to you about experience if you've never experienced Jesus you've got nothing to tell if you've experienced Jesus you've got lots to tell and I want to challenge you that are sitting here and you that are watching online if you have never had an experience with Jesus you need to then you can be a witness you'll be clothed with this power and you'll be a witness and if you are here today in the sanctuary and you know that I have not made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior for my life, I would ask you that as we sing the next song, you come this side of the altar. One of the elders will come and lead you to Jesus. They would love to do that. And you'd have an encounter. After that encounter, you're filled with the Spirit of God. After that encounter, you're walking as a disciple. After that encounter, you are telling others you are a witness, a faithful witness of Jesus. For those of us who have had the encounter with Jesus, my challenge to you today is that just like all these other people that we hear of in scripture, they told their story. That's where it starts. I'm not saying that you should not you should not add scripture. I'm going to speak speaking next week about telling the gospel through scripture. But this week I want us to realize that the foundation of that telling is your story, is my story. Nobody can dispute your experience. So tell your experience with Jesus. Some of you are afraid, oh, well, if I start to open the Bible, they'll stone me. Don't worry. Then tell them your story. Your story opens the door for you to open the Bible. Your story opens the door because then they start to ask questions. Tell them your story. You have a wonderful story to tell. And let's go out and tell our story.